Good morning, everyone. One, so glad you're here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Tom O'Connell. I serve here at Hope as one of the pastors, and we're just thrilled uh, that you're here today. I'd love for you to, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, uh, if you have one, uh, to First John. First uh, John chapter 3, we're going to look at just uh, several verses, chapter 3, verse 7 to 17. If you're new to uh, studying the Bible or reading the Bible, we are glad you're here. And First uh, John is actually towards the end of the Bible. It's easier if you start in Revelation and go back to the left, uh, you'll find First, Second, Third John. We're in First John uh, chapter 3. As uh, I would just really echo what Linda said about those ministries, Kids Hope and Edwards Boys and Girls Club. I've had the privilege of being a part of both. I was part of Kids Hope for three years and now Edwards Boys Club for the last couple of years. And uh, it's just amazing to watch God connect us with people that end up in our spheres of influence. Uh, there was one boy in the video for uh, some snapshots, pictures from the Boys Club at Edwards, uh, who I, I have coached him on a baseball team. Uh, he is part of. He was a part of Edwards Boys Club last year as a sixth grader, and when I showed up for football practice, uh, I'm an assistant coach on one of the football teams here in town, the rec league teams. Uh, he's on our football team, and uh, God has given me an opportunity to spend time in different settings with this uh, boy and with my son Thomas. And and uh, so, just to encourage you, if you have the time and availability, we'd love for you to be a part of either of these ministries. It's just incredible opportunities that God has given to us here in our community uh, to be a blessing um, to uh, these young people, these students, and the teachers, and the faculty, and the families uh, also. So hopefully you have uh, First John there before you. First John chapter 3. Let me just read these words. We've been out of this book for a weekend. Uh, last weekend was a family weekend, so getting back into it. So I just want to read these words so we kind of pick up the flavor and where we're going today. Starting in verse 7, I'll read it for us. It says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? One of the more common questions that uh, is talked about when a child is born is, who does he or she look like? 
Uh, Lori and I had it with all four of our kids uh, when they were born. Uh, about a month ago, Lori and I were visiting some friends who had their first child, first baby, as a little girl. And, uh, you know, we're uh, <laughs> holding her and talking to them. And, and uh, you know, the, the, that's what Lori, you know, she's holding this little girl and she's, oh, she looks like the mom. And, and she starts naming off these characteristics on her face and hair and eyes. And, and then she hands her to me and says, what do you think? Who do you think she looks like? And I don't know about you, but like, even with our own kids, like when I'm asked that, who do they look like at that stage or age? You know, I'm like, I really don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> they look like one of us, you know, both of us, uh, or they look like the mom and the dad. You know, I, I don't know. I just can't see all those things. But, but it's interesting with our kids, you know, and you proceed in your kids as they get older, especially for me, like I just see, I just see features of, of, uh, in each of our kids of either they look more like one side of the family, uh, my side or Lori's side. And, and it's really interesting. A few weeks ago, my mom and dad were visiting, and my mom found these old pictures of when my dad was about 10, 11, 12 years old. And she was, so she's showing us all these old pictures of my dad. And, and you would have thought we were looking at my son Thomas. I mean, it just looked like him standing there uh, in these pictures. And, and it's, it's kind of an interesting experience as an adult when you uh, start to see yourself in your parents. Uh, I start to see myself in my dad uh, more and more. Again, when they were in town just a few weeks ago, I started, you know, the big debate over the days they were with us is whose beard has more gray uh, in it. And uh, I'm getting very close to catching up to him uh, very rapidly. And uh, it's interesting as we're, you know, just watching watching even mannerisms and how similar they are. My dad and I were sitting on the couch watching some TV and, and uh, we both got up at a similar time to go get a, a snack and there were similar groans and <laughs> creaks as we made our way off uh, the couch and more and more I'm realizing I'm becoming uh, my dad. And I think we would say, we, I'd say in my family, you'd say in your family, there's a sense of a family resemblance in different ways, whether it be physical features, characteristics, traits, the way you hold your hands a certain way, the way you maybe drink coffee or walk or whatever it might be, there are certain traits that you just, they resemble your family, the family that you are a part of. And as I've studied 1 John chapter 3, I sense that's where John is going. He's writing to people talking about family resemblance. That he's writing to people who are really going through a very difficult time. He's writing to a church. He's writing to followers of Jesus, uh, maybe like us. Uh, he's writing to followers of Jesus who circumstances have come into their lives that are unsettling. Uh, what has happened, if you're just joining our study of 1 John, if you're not, you've heard this over these weeks, but there's been a number of people in this church, in this gathering, in this congregation that have left. And, and they haven't left just over, you know, we disagree, we don't like this or that, but they've left over theological reasons. And, and those theological reasons have to do with the person of Jesus. They see the person of Jesus completely different uh, than what the Bible teaches. And these are also people who are really saying to these, now these people that are stayed and are still part of this church, you're not part of the family of God. 
because of how you're following him and walking with him. These are also people that have said back and they've said, Jesus, his life and what the Bible says, it doesn't dictate or it doesn't matter. He doesn't determine how you're supposed to live. He, Jesus doesn't really care how you live. You can live however you want to live. And so they have these people that are leaving them. So that's troubling. These have been friends that they've prayed with and worshiped with and read the Bible with and, and shared their lives with. And now they're saying, we don't want to be a part of you anymore. And they're saying, you're not part of the family of God. And they're saying, you can live however you want to live. So it's very unsettling. And so what John does is he writes to these people. He can't get there physically. So he writes this letter to them saying, he's reminding them of who they are. And I think in, I sense in John chapter 3, John is reminding them of their identity, who they are. And how they're then to live. Because Jesus does, based on his word, give us instructions on how are we to live as followers of Jesus in the times we live in. So here's the theme we're going to talk about. The idea, the big idea that we're going to talk about today. Is that being a child of God, I think, naturally leads to living like a child of God. That being a child of God, experiencing salvation, submitting your life to his lordship, surrendering your life to him and his ways and his plan for your life, becoming a child of God that naturally leads to us living as a child of God. That this internal change that has taken place, this interior change dictates and changes how I live my life. Now, when I say naturally, it's not a, like we're robots that just, you know, when the change happens, we instantaneously just automatically, 100% of the time, start living the way Jesus would want us to live. I think we all know that's not true. But there's this desire to live that way. There's a prompting. There's a willingness. There's a willingness to work and put in the work and effort to live the way Jesus would want us to live. I believe John is talking about a family resemblance. That if we say we are a child of God, we need to resemble our Heavenly Father and how we live our lives. So we're going to kind of unpack this uh, just in a few ways today, but I, I feel like it, it's important to understand the background, like what John has said right before this. When we read any book of the Bible, it's, it's very dangerous just to pluck verses out of the context and never think about what did it say before that. That can get us into all sorts of trouble. So when we read the Bible, it's always important to know what was said just before this. So what it says, and I think, again, it's important to understand as we get to like living, like doing and action to understand why we do those things. So let me just read verse, chapter three, verse one. It says this, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. John, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. John lays down identity, that we are a child of God. And it's from that place, from that position, from that identity, we do. And why is that important? It's important because as followers of Jesus, we don't do for him hoping to become a child of God. It's not I'm doing for him, hoping and praying that he'll love me enough to make me his child but I do for him based on what he's already done for me. 
and made me, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, made me a child of God. Therefore, I've had this internal change that impacts outwardly how I live my life. So that's important as we think about what does it look like to live? What are some characteristics? And we're just going to look at two, just two quick characteristics uh, today. And one characteristic really is kind of, it's reminding us, and it's similar to what we talked about a few weeks ago. And then one characteristic is going to be, we're just going to start touching on it today, but it's really going to be a theme for the next several weeks. Uh, we're going to keep talking about this theme. But the first characteristic that I think John lays out in these verses as, as we think about being a child of God and living like a child of God is living righteously. Living righteously. To live righteously. To live rightly. To live rightly according to the way God would want us to live. What's, what's laid out in the word. We live rightly. And again, why, is, why does John go here? That's what we always have to ask ourselves. Why does he write these things? He writes these things because people are telling these believers there in Western Turkey, live however you want to live your life. And John's saying, no. You can't just live however you want to live your life. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's not just get out of hell free card so I don't go to hell. But it's you live for him. He impacts everything about our lives, how we live. So we live rightly. We live righteously. And we have to be reminded that the only way you and I can live righteously is because of what he's already done for us. We don't live righteously hoping to become righteous. But we are able to live righteously because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And it's actually already what John laid out. He called himself, called Jesus the atoning sacrifice. He said he takes away the sins. He destroys the work of the enemy. Because of what Jesus has already done for us, that we receive his righteousness. And I live it out through everyday actions. Let me read some of these words that John says here in his letter, starting in verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Don't let anyone move you from this. Be reminded, he's saying, be reminded of what I've already talked to you about. He's reminding them in this unsettling time when they're wondering, who are we? What are we to do? How are we to live? Don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right, or he who does what is right is righteous, just as he, God, is righteous. He who does what is sinful, so we're going to kind of see this comparison, uh, contrast. He said, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's just what the devil does. He doesn't live rightly. He's been doing that since the beginning. He doesn't live righteously. The reason the Son of God appeared, and here again is what Jesus has already done for us. But the Son of God has appeared was to destroy. Why did he appear? To destroy the devil's work. He showed up. Jesus came. He took on flesh. He died on the cross. Why? One of the reasons, to destroy the devil's work, to remove the presence of sin from our lives. And that's a continual process that we are in. To being set free more and more and more from sin, never living perfectly on this side of heaven, but being transformed, sanctified through Jesus, what he's done. 
And here John says, no one who is born of God, and this is similar to what he said earlier in chapter 3, no one who is born of God, who's born again, will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him and he cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. What, what John, John is not saying that we will never sin, or we will never be perfect. He's not saying that. He's saying we will struggle. We will struggle with sin. But I think what John is really getting to is the attitude. If our attitude is this is just the way it's going to be and I'm going to struggle with this, whatever this is for the rest of my life, or if our attitude is I'm going to do this because God will forgive me, I think John would say that is an improper or is a wrong attitude. We will struggle but what John is saying, what is our attitude towards it? Are we just kind of settling in and being, are we just saying this is just the way it's going to be? Or are we willing to struggle? Are we willing to say no to sin? Are we willing to talk to other people? Are we willing to not keep it a secret? Are we willing to be authentic with our lives and let people in to say, I just need you to pray for me. I need you to be aware. This is a temptation for me. This is a real struggle for me. And you're willing to bring it to light, confess it, and put boundaries, maybe boundaries in your life. But John says you will not go on sin because God's seed or that seed has been implanted in you and it's going to grow and it's going to take root and affect how, excuse me, how we live. And he says this is how we know who the children of God are, the children who are the devil are. So you kind of get this comparison here. Anyone who does not do what is right or live righteously is not a child of God. And again, he's not saying we have to be 100% perfect. But if our motive is not to try to live the way God wants us to live, John would say you're not part of the family of God. You're not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And we'll talk about love in a moment. But So there's a few things here. Again, we are able to live righteously because of what Jesus has already done for us, receiving his righteousness. And we live righteously in two ways. There's a lot of different ways, but I just want to highlight two. By saying yes to things and no to things. And what I mean by this is John talks about those who just continue on sinning. Again, we are going to sin. We are going to struggle. But John say part of living righteously is to say, you know what? I'm going to, with God's help and with others' help, I'm going to fight hard against sin. I'm going to say no to some things, to no to like improper behavior, things coming out of my mouth, a text message that is mean-spirited, and I'm just going to tear someone down with this text message. Even if you put a smiley face emoji at the end, <laughs> it's still wrong. But it's saying no to these things. What we look at on the computer, what you look at on your phone, what you watch on TV, what you read, what you talk about, it's realizing God is righteous and he's made me righteous. And with his help, I'm going to bring my life more and more in line with that reality by saying no. But it's also saying yes. And here's what I mean by that. When we think of sin... Think of it as a coin. One side of the coin being things we say no to. And many times that's all we think about with sin. It's things I know I shouldn't do. But at the very same time, sin is also there are things I know I should do that I don't. 
That's the double side of sin. It's not just saying no to some things. It's also saying yes to others. So what might that look like? What might be the yes? It might be in your workplace being a peacemaker when there's conflict. Helping bring reconciliation when there's, things are torn apart or people are torn apart. It might be bringing healing when there's brokenness in a relationship or there's someone is broken, they're going through a situation, a difficult situation. It's saying, you know what? It's, it's bringing the presence of Christ into that situation to bring healing and restoration and hope. We've talked here at Hope Church about the variety, the countless injustices in our community and our world. It's saying yes to say, I'm going to come against, I'm going to fight those injustices, whatever they might be. I'm going to speak up for someone in the workplace who is being treated unjustly. Or maybe is the, the joke of the workplace, of the office or the factory or the locker room. That's saying yes, to say that is the right way to live. And I think that's what John is getting to when he talks about living righteously. It's realizing what Jesus has already done, receiving his righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness. And now I, with his help, am trying to live that out. And saying no to things that I know are wrong. What God's word says, don't do this. And there's things saying, yes, this is how you're to live. And this idea of saying yes through our actions actually leads us right into the next characteristic. We talked about living righteously, li live righteously. Now we're talking about love well. Loving people well. Specifically, because we get to apply love in a variety of settings. Love our spouses, love our kids, love our neighbors. But what we're going to talk about and what John's going to talk about for the rest of, the rest of this book, this letter, is love. And what he's doing is saying, love those in the body of Christ. Love those in your church, those in the family of God that are part of your local church. That's the love, the application of love that John is going to. Let me read again some of these verses uh, and then we'll unpack them a little bit. It says this, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. John, this is kind of a transition point in his letter. He's moving on to talk about what does it look like to live this stuff out. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. There's this application. There's, when we've been born anew, born again, passed from death to life, a, a outflow of that is we will love those in the body of Christ. John says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? It's really interesting to me that as John uh, unpacks, what does it look like to love one another in the body of Christ? What does it look like uh, in, in the first century? What does it look like for them? And what does it look like for Hope Church for us to love one another? He goes to a negative example. Like, don't do this first. And that negative example is Cain. Uh, this is going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. It's interesting to me that we're talking about this story in light of recent news events. Uh, maybe you're aware of this. and I found this somewhat interesting in light of our study and, and journey through 1 John, especially thinking about Cain. Cain excuse me. That, uh, in a recent interview, this a few weeks ago, uh, who's now the former White House communications director, Anthony Scaramucci, in an interview, some of you know where I'm going because you read the interview. Um, in an interview, when he was asked to describe the relationship that he and who's now the former chief of staff, Reince Priebus, had. Um, Anthony Scaramucci said, he said a lot of things, but just specifically about what we're talking about today. He said this, he said, describing their relationship, we are like brothers who are rough with each other, like Cain and Abel. And as I read the interview, um, I just thought to myself, I don't know if that's the best example <laughs> to use when describing uh, your relationship with another person, uh, especially when you work with very closely. Um, but it was. Anyway, he used that example. And some of you are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Some of you are not. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain is born first. Abel is born second. Cain tends the fields. A farmer, Abel uh, tends the herds, uh, takes care of the livestock. They both offer sacrifices. And we're told in Genesis 4, Abel's was received with favor and Cain's was not. And that makes Cain furious, angry. And it's very interesting to read that story. I read it again when I was studying this week. And in that moment of anger and rage, God moves towards Cain and offers him a choice. He understands the rage and anger and hatred inside of him in that moment. And he basically says to Cain, you have a choice. Are you going to love your brother or are you going to hate him? And he says, sin is crouching at your door, looking to master you. And what the Bible tells us is Cain chose to murder his brother. He murdered him. Why? Because he hated him. He was filled with rage. And he didn't deal with that rage and that hatred in an appropriate way. And he killed him. And John goes to this example, I think first to say, this is not how, this is not what love looks like. Obviously there's the don't murder part. Like that's, I think, obvious. But I think even beyond the, just the action of murder, there's the heart, the hatred inside of him that was dealt with in an inappropriate and wrong way. And maybe in a way, John is saying, with the people there as he shares this story about Cain and don't be like him. 
Maybe there's some people in that John is writing to that are filled with hatred, anger, rage maybe, towards another person in the body of Christ. And John's saying, deal with that. Address that in an appropriate way. And that's what, he, that's what he says there. He says, do not be surprised, my brothers, for we'll hate you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother. So he goes to the emotion first, the feeling first. Anyone who hates, and in Matthew 5, that we're told in Matthew 5, uh, the, the act of murder and the, the feeling of hatred are on the same plane. It, it's, it's the stuff inside. He says, anyone who does not do what is right, excuse me, uh, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And then he presents the positive example, and that's Jesus. He says, and this is how we know. This is the example of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He laid it down. He willingly gave it up. He moved towards sinful mankind. He stepped into our shoes. He took on flesh. He moved into our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says. He, he walked among us. And he willingly laid down his life. And John says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And as, based on that example, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And he gives a practical way with material possessions. And we'll talk more about that next week. What does it look like to live, not love, not just with words, but with actions. But he holds up this example of Jesus. Jesus loved us sacrificially. He loved us humbly. And he loved us in a way that gave life. Cain, on the opposite, on the opposite end of the spectrum, he, loved, he didn't love and he brought death. Jesus loved and brought life. And I think John is saying there's a choice. We have a choice in how we love others, specifically in the body of Christ. And again, to ask the question, why does John go here? Why does he talk about something so elementary, so 101, so basic? Love people, love those in the church. Like that's like basic, John. Why do you go there? I think he went there because they were struggling to do it. And why were they struggling to do it? Because their world had been turned upside down. And when our worlds are turned upside down, we don't love well. I don't know about you, but if I'm under stress, pressure, uncertainty, pain, difficulty, like if those are the experiences of my life and maybe if those are the experiences of your life, it can be hard to love, especially those closest to us. Because sometimes we take out what's going on in here out on those out there. And I think that's why, I sense that's why John goes to love. Love one another. Bringing them back to who they are as followers of Jesus. So let me just bring some application to us here at Hope Church, and then we'll wrap up. In a way, Hope Church, our worlds have been turned upside down over these last several months. We are experiencing and have experienced what I would describe as a very traumatic experience. And it impacts all of us in a variety of ways. 
And it causes maybe stress and uncertainty and uncomfortableness and pain and grief and just go on and on with the things it brings up in us. Memories from the past, things we experienced when we were kids. I mean, just all these things come up in the midst of a situation like we're facing. And we have to be aware, just like John was aware, we have to be aware of these realities and the challenge to love, the call to still love one another here at Hope Church. The call to love one another. That's what John wants us to do. And I'll be honest with you. Loving one another is not for the faint of heart. It takes work. It takes effort for a variety of reasons. Under the best of circumstances, it takes work. But you throw heartache and stress and grief and uncertainty all into those things, and it just amplifies it. So I think these, this passage and the passages to come in 1 John are very timely for us as a church to be reminded of who we are as his children and to be reminded of the call to live righteously and to love well. To show one another grace, to move towards each other. If we do have questions, if we have concerns, we, we address them face to face. We talk to people, we sit with people, we listen to people. We don't fill in the blanks. Well, here's probably why they did it, and here's why they did it, and we try to fill in the blanks with our own uh, way we think it should have happened or could have happened. But we ask them. We're present with people. We move towards people. We try to step into their shoes. Instead of assuming why they did what they did or said what they said, we try to step into their shoes to understand why would they feel that way. And I think these verses are going to be very good for us as a community of faith over the weeks and months ahead. For us to be reminded of the call in these days ahead to love one another. So John would say, John would say, remember who you are. You are a child of God. And being a child of God naturally leads to living like a child of God. And knowing that we are his children, if we've been born again, if we've been saved, we've experienced and received his righteousness, we live righteously, saying no some things this week, saying yes to other things this week, and we love one another well. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a moment of transition uh, in our service. And as I pray, we're going to, um, this will be the... Uh, end of the portion of our service that's being live streamed. So I just want to thank those who have been listening uh, via our live stream today. But let me pray for us. God, I want to thank you for this letter. I want to thank you for John and penning it and people dealing with very difficult circumstances. And Lord, I just pray this week that, God, that you would help us be reminded continually of who we are as your child, as your children. And we live like you want us to live, live righteously. And God, we love well. And Lord, would you help us here at Hope Church just to continue 
to grow in our expressions of love towards one another in this church family. And we pray these things, God, in your name. Amen.